Welcome to In Defense of Humanity. My name is Ostris Oz Miller. Today, Khalid Johnson and I are joined by Jeff Harry. Jeff, please introduce yourself. What's up, everyone? I'm Jeff Harry. Uh, I run an organization called Rediscover Your Play, where I take play and positive psychology to tackle some of the most biggest issues that a lot of uh, organizations and people are struggling with. Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeff, we were discussing a lot of things before we decided to hit record. Um, do any of the things that we have discussed previously pop out to you that you would like to start the podcast off with? Well, I mean, I've, I'm thinking about like in defense of humanity, like what is what does that actually mean to y'all? Like, and what 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 is that? Why okay. do you even start this in the first place? Back in 2018, you know. Mm -hmm. in that that small college that you wonder whether you should have went to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So in defense of humanity just, you know, came to my mind, uh, along with Nehemiah Johnson, who is an old co-host who frequently comes back on. He's playing club soccer right now. But that's awesome. I, yeah. Um, so it was like, we need a cool title, obviously. So people click on the podcast and we were looking around at other podcasts and be like, well, people just have titles that mean something to them. So I was like, I, I studied human rights in college. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm for rights for humans, but I'm not like a speciesist. I don't think that we should just be slaughtering elephants or dolphins or anything. So I was like, but if I say in defense of sentient beings, no one's going to click on it. I was like, so in defense of humanity works, uh, come to find out, a year and a half later, uh, one of our guests, Dr. Eric Dickman says, hey, do you know there's a, a conservative podcast also <laughs> called In Defense of Humanity? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, so I was You're like, like competing oh. against these far right wing QAnon people yeah. right now. So I was, I, or, or you're recruiting a bunch of them. They're like, man, this, this podcast is pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was it was strange to figure that out. I don't know why I didn't. I definitely searched it before I made that the name and nothing popped up. Right, right. So, so it, it does look like it existed before I came up with the name, but maybe it gained popularity after we also uh, started making podcasts, which would be unfortunate. So, I mean, I love that, man. I mean, I think of like what I thought of when I saw it in Defense of Humanity, it was like, oh, good. Someone is actually talking about, you know, people treating people as people, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm seeing there's so, there's so much like characterization now. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how political your podcast is, but I was freaking elated when Biden mm -hmm. won. All right. I was, you know, I, you know, I'm more of like a Bernie guy, more like left leaning. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know that, but, but the reality is, is like, and I didn't realize this while I was in my Bay area bubble, but mm -hmm. Bernie was never going to win. <laughs> mm. And the reason why he was never going to win, and I hate saying this because I used to not believe that, is because when you got 70 million other people that are voting for someone, even though they're racist, misogynist, all these things, they're able to ignore all of that. And it was just mm. like, okay, that's where we're at, right? But I remember hopping um, onto like Fox News right after Biden win, just to see what they were saying. And I could just see like, the characterizations that each group does, MSNBC or Fox News, mm -hmm. makes everyone look in such a demonizing way that there's there's no way in which we can actually have a real discussion where people see the humanity in each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you. I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Bernie bro, but that's no, because... No, I'm not a Bernie bro. No. But, you know, that, that's, that's, that sounds like a young... Gen Z or term, even though I am right. And it just, I, I don't like using terms like, like to show my, you know, it, it's almost like the left equivalent of being, I don't know what Trump people are called. Trump. That is true because they have a certain level of toxic masculinity themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they did a lot of bullying of a lot of like 
female um, mm-hmm. uh, presidential candidates. Like they bullied Warren and her supporters. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, dude, bro, like you're such a Bernie bro right now. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And they would use a lot of the same rhetoric that Trump people would use. So it's like, man, come on. Absolutely. So like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like this, this podcast, as you asked before, is not political, but we also don't police the language. So we don't start off by saying, Hey, we're a bunch of leftists or right, 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 right. Well, we're definitely not all right, but we do say things like that. We're like, Hey, we're not going to say that we're leftists or green party, but we can confirm that we are not conservative. Right. It leaves people to suspect, Oh, if they're not this, then they have to be the other. Right, right, right. But I even think of like in defense of humanity in the let's say let's talk about in defense and humanity in the mm-hmm. context of work, right? Absolutely. So I've been fascinated recently with the eight hour work day. Mm-hmm. And I've only started mm-hmm. studying it. And apparently, and I just I just found this out like a couple days ago. Apparently, a Welsh labor activist by the name of like, I think Jim Cohn came up with the eight hour workday back in like 1814, like mm. freaking 1814, you know, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep. Like he just came up with it. That was his idea. No one picked it up. People like continued to work people 10 to 15 hours. Obviously, yes, also 1814. That's when a lot of slavery also was, mm. it was booming back then too. Oh, yeah. So they were not thinking about that, right? But then General um, or Henry Ford, in 1917, um, realized that a lot of his people were either dying on the assembly line or just like really unhealthy that he mm-hmm. instituted the eight hour workday. And then he doubled the salary of his staff. So in addition to cutting their hours by half, he doubled it, right? And it caused a whole disruption within the industry. And all these people were like, what are you doing? We're gonna lose all this money. Eight hours is not enough to produce or squeeze money out of people. Mm-hmm. Right. But then here's the sad part is since like 1917, there hasn't been a change in the eight hour mm. workday since then. It's 103 years, dude. Like, oh, seriously, yeah. Oh, yeah. still doing eight hours of work. Why are we doing eight hours of work? And I, I read a study that most people, the average worker works, is productive for two hours and 53 minutes out of an eight hour workday. And the eight-hour workday is actually not eight hours anymore. It's now 8.8 hours, according to the Bureau Mm. of Labor Statistics. So what we're saying is five and a half hours a day, people are doing no work at work. They're on YouTube. They're looking at news. They're um, uh, getting coffee. They're messing around. or, Or they're in meetings because people are making up work for them to do for no Mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people that are just doing BS work, Yeah, you know? And it's like, you know, tying it into the defense of humanity is like, what are we doing? Like, why are Uh we wasting Mm -hmm. people's time? Like cut it down to a four day work week, have five hour, have only people work six hours a day or five hours a day and then give them the rest of the day off, right? Mm. They'll do better work for you. And it's just more humane. Because like this eight hour thing is just not cutting it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I think specifically of two industries where eight hour workday has never worked. Like as a coder, you go in, you're salaried eight hours. Yep. Uh, I go in, hit, hit a stack working on sets, two hours max done. Uh, You can't leave. You you can't leave. You got to be here because other people are still working. You're salaried. So we want to get our money out of you. Cool. Can I move on to the next one? No, you won't have anything I do tomorrow. That doesn't make any. I'll just doesn't make any sense. You're going to pay me the same. The work is done. Right. You said it's perfect. Let me go. And um, maritime, like uh, longshoremen in like Savannah, Georgia, or in the Northeast, even railroad workers, um, like stacking up. So maybe some days it takes them 12 hours. Yeah. They're getting paid 120,000 plus a year. Yep. Like this is this is what they do. Whenever you become a maritime worker, you join a union, you you have resigned your life to be a maritime worker. And it's right. hard labor, but it's like it's not easy to get in. This isn't like you just go to Walmart or right. Amazon and you work your way up to 120,000. No, you start off as an apprentice. 
you go to school for this specifically. So in this process, you either it's through attrition, you weed yourself out or you have committed to this. And then some people like labor activists are like 12 hour workday. And it's like, you don't understand because in the in the high season, sure, 12, 14 hour workday. But in the low season, they come in for three hours and they're the most efficient workers because they're working right. at the same speed. If right. they work the same speed for the three hour shift, they're stacking up the pallets. And if they work because these guys don't do the two and a half hours out of eight hours, they're putting in all their work for the 12 hours. Because if they finish loading up the ship or the plane, then they don't have to come to work anymore. That's it. That That's why the efficiency should be there. They clock out when they want because they're getting paid the same regardless. And that's like that we should be treating it in. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't know if it needs to be exactly that model, but we should be giving people more freedom to mm -hmm. do the work that they do well and then let them do whatever else they want to do with the rest mm. of their lives. Because if you calculate how many hours people are at work, if you're working 50 hours a week, that's 2,500 hours mm -hmm. a year. And you only have, I think, 8,760 hours in a given year. Like that's how much hours are in a year. So mm. 2,500 of those 8,700 hours, I'm gonna be at work and I'm going to be wasting my time there. It's like, mm. I could be spending time with family. I could be doing stuff with my friends. I could be working on my side business. I could be doing all these other things that are better for the world and better for humanity, but I don't, I don't have the opportunity to do that. That's ridiculous, man. Come on. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. So now my question to you that I, I'm thinking about is how does play factor into this mm -hmm. so the way in which play factors into work and i'm sure you felt this is you know i define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment right mm -hmm. where you fully forget about time you know you there's no purpose there's no result a lot of basketball players refer to it as being in the zone yes it's, time slows down no anxiety about the future no uh, regrets about the past you're just fully present and when you're fully present that's when you truly are yourself and that's when you do your best work mm -hmm. so how do we have how do we help companies help their staff do their best work all the time you know because when you're doing that if you think about any startup right any of the facebook's or amazon's i don't agree with them now but when they were first starting right they were in their garage or their basement and were like, wouldn't it be cool to create this thing? And they just played, right? They mm -hmm. just played to come up with it. And they'd work 12, 15 hours because they just loved it. They didn't care about the time because it was just super fun. But if you think about it, the reason why the world is changing so rapidly is because of all of these huge innovations that are happening from certain organizations and companies because they allowed themselves to play. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is when they got big enough, then they stopped playing and then everything was very serious, you know, mm -hmm. and they talked about innovation and agility and all these buzzwords, but they didn't create the environment for anyone to take risks. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what's happening now at Facebook. You know, it's still happening a little bit at Amazon. Look at what Google does. Google yes. has, you know, Google has, oh, let me, hang. sorry about that. Yeah. Google has this 20 minute uh, or 20% um, challenge mm -hmm. uh, that he, mm -hmm. they give to their staff, where 20% of their time, they get to do whatever they want. Like whatever they want, as long as it ties in with Google, as long as it helps Google. Guess what has come from the 20% like challenge? Gmail was invented because of 20%. Google Meet was invented because of that. Like there's all these innovations when you give people the freedom to play. But mm. when you take that away, then you have like Blockbuster. And look what happened to Blockbuster. That's the reason why they're done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't play enough. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've seen I've seen big companies or or I suppose startups that are now big companies that have like their headquarters where everyone's having fun. And then you have the subsidiaries, though, like the other places like, you know, let's say 
can't can't name drop the company, but there's a company located in the southwest which looks fun. Everything happens. They have right. new technology. Right. And they have um, their other units. That, let's call them distribution centers that are around the world. Yeah. Around the country, rather. And then in rural places, it's like, oh, this company's so cool based yep. on everything online. I'm getting yep. paid well, corporate. And you go in and it's it's literally the only piece of technology in the middle of a field in rural America. <laughs> and then you're not having fun. Well, you could have fun, but all the other employees are like hourly employees. So it's like you are one of five people. So yep. you have to do your job yep. because it's like they're having they're not able to have fun. So you're right. like, I'm not going to do anything because that's that's mean. Firstly, also uh, because there aren't the staff here that's that are able to get paid the same. So there's always something to fix. Right, right, this right. This isn't headquarters, and they're not going to funnel that much money into this facility. Right. I mean, and I and and I don't know if you're referring to this organization, but you know, but I I think of Amazon, right? Like Amazon mm -hmm. is a perfect example of that. Of when they started, it was really interesting. And if you actually watch the documentary on Amazon, a lot of the people that helped start Amazon were fascinated with what they were trying to solve, right? Mm -hmm. But now, when you look at them. And you look at how like they abuse people at these distribution centers oh, yeah. and people are either wearing diapers because they can't go to the bathroom or they're tracked every single moment of what they do and they're treated like robots. You're like, what happened, man? Like what happened to you? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't mind getting my package tomorrow Yes, someone is not gonna die on the floor of Amazon today. Like that's like that's what it. are you doing? Dude? Like what are we doing right now? Mm. And and if anything, what COVID has reminded us of is it's reminded us all to like slow down. What mm. are we rushing for? We're always rushing. We're like rushing to buy stuff, rushing to like you know impress one another. Like just slow freaking down. Like, you know, I, I hear this all the time from parents, like, we got to get our kids back to school. We got to get them back to school or they're going to be, be behind. I'm like, behind what? Like, we're all behind. Like, what are we, yeah. what are we rushing for? Like, this makes no sense why mm -hmm. we're doing this. This, and because look what has happened when we've rushed. Now we've put more people in harm's way. For sure. For sure. Uh, to go back to your Amazon example. Luckily, you said it. It wasn't the particular company I was talking about, but they're a great example. Is the fact that they develop these in a similar fashion, these distribution centers in rural places. So now people who live, let's say, in Bungham County, North Carolina, uh, can get their, I don't know, their new PC yep. in one day rush. So it, it comes in, they, they put it on, they pick it, they pack it. And then the same guy who put it in the truck taps on the uh, taps on the trucker van. That guy leaves there and drives all around like a, a postman route and then gets to your house and it's there within 24 hours. That is that requires these pickers to be mm -hmm. working at insane efficiency, it's insane efficiency, like, yeah, dangerous efficiency. Mm -hmm. Oh, you sure. were going to say sorry. No, no, no. I, that was, that was it. I, so I wonder, right. Cause we, we emailed back and forth about like Aristotelian or, or gymnasium, the concept of gymnasium and the whole person in, um, uh, in Greece, you know, developing both arithmetic philosophy, athletics, which is where we get gymnastics and then, uh, leisure, the, mm -hmm. the time to be free in which people get upset right whenever i um was working i would go off um on leisure time be sitting in the break area and read a book and right. people were like oh it's your break take a break why are you why are you doing this and i'm like no you don't understand the leisure is free time the yes. freedom to yes. develop yourself yes. so that you can find freedom in other circumstances yes. not freedom just to veg out so to speak and yes. not do anything because you're supposed to develop yourselves at all times. So you have the capacity to leave this place eventually. Gee, oh, you're dropping some knowledge right now, dude. Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> stagnate and be here forever. 
Well, this, but this is the interesting concept, right? Because what has been sold to us, if you think of capitalism, what has been sold to us that leisure is more consuming, mm -hmm. like go shop, go binge watch Netflix, go get Disney plus. Oh, you don't have Disney plus. Now you now have Disney plus make sure now you get Hulu. Oh, you don't have Hulu now. Now make sure you get this. Like, we're just going to bombard you with so much information and BS that you mm. don't ever have time to actually explore who you are. Like you don't have time to explore like what makes you come alive, right? Howard Thurman says this, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Well, I can't if I'm five five seasons behind on, you know, on uh, whatever Game of Thrones or whatever mm. it is that I'm watching like like it's they people have we've they've taken leisure away and ruined it mm -hmm. in, in a way and i think about that for kids look at how scheduled kids are now yeah they don't yes. have time for free play and here's the thing and I, this might blow your mind about this but but my friend lenore runs an organization called free range kids and it's all about mm -hmm. before covid it was all about having playgrounds or having recess before school because they, she found when kids had recess, meaning their parents could drop them off or whoever's dropping them off, and they have recess before school starts for a while, like 45 minutes, they're more likely to pay attention. They're more engaged. They're more all these things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then what happens is when you take recess away, and I don't know how much recess you had. But when you actually take recess away and you over schedule kids, the whole point of free play is the opportunity for kids to make choices for themselves, mm -hmm. to feel like they have the autonomy um, for uh, to do what do what they want. But when you're over scheduling a kid, they don't get that opportunity. And this kind of ties into um, mass shootings. So one okay, of the initial okay. mass shootings that ever happened was in Texas back in the 1970s. And Stuart Brown studied the brain of the guy afterwards and studied the history of this guy. And this guy didn't know how to play. He didn't know how to, like what you learn when you play is compassion, empathy, communication, all these things. He did not see humans as human beings, okay. was not able to adapt and play. And his brain changed over time and he was able to see people as just not human mm. and that's why he was able to go on that up on that tower and shoot people the way he did you know so when you take away play that is what you're doing you're taking away humanity from kids okay okay very interesting uh khalid do you have any thoughts and so that the listeners know khalid is lagging a bit so we'll give him some time Um, I mean, within a capitalist system, right? It's all about how much you can contribute. I think you guys have been hitting it right on the head. Mm. Um, you know, there's no room for leisure because you are your productivity. You are what you can contribute in a capitalist system. Mm. Um, and so we don't prioritize giving anybody leisure because the merit of a person is, you know, what they can contribute under capitalism, right? You look at the um the autistic spectrum right and we mm -hmm. define things in these very ableist terms you know we go with high functioning low functioning just yep. as you know mm. yep ways to define how much they can contribute under capitalism absolutely right? and so there is no room to have fun because unless you're like unless you're a capitalist right you know i think about the working class they don't qualify they can have capitalistic beliefs but that's mm -hmm, fostered under mm -hmm. a capitalist system right mm -hmm. um i thought like if you're a capitalist you know somebody that legitimately benefits from capitalism you have a chance to uh to experience leisure but that's at people's expense uh -huh. nobody can be a successful capitalist without exploitation yep Yep. Yeah. And, and what I think of when he says that is I think of, and this is why I feel guilty anytime I go eat mm. outside, right? Because I am putting somebody else at risk just so I can go have dinner, you know, mm -hmm. like, like mm -hmm. 
that 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 crushes me. It crushes me that that um, essential workers. You know, I remember I saw this in New York. This guy had a mask and a face shield and all this stuff, and he was covering himself. And he's at this really fancy restaurant, like serving all these people, not wearing masks. That are just like they have the leisure, they have the time, and they also do not care if they get this person sick while this person is at their beck and call, right? Mm. So I think that's something worth like exploring of why have we bought into this idea that our self-worth is tied to our productivity? Mm -hmm. And what happened when quarantine happened and how many people struggled to deal with like, oh, I'm not productive anymore. So what value do I have in my life, right? And and how do we break from that? Because we there's a way to do this but mm-hmm. like, just like COVID, we all have to wear our mask. We all have to buy in that that how capitalism is currently set up is not structured for anyone, but just for a few people. Absolutely. And this particularly, uh, Jeff, this is going to air as a second episode of our fourth season, which we specifically covered uh, capitalism. We talked about multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes. Oh, in, oh, in, oh, oh yeah, God. in the last episode, and we discussed uh, because I've worked at a camp um, in the past summer for people on autism spectrum disorder with ADHD. Mm. Some of which, right? We don't use the terms high functioning, low functioning, right, anymore for the diagnostic. Nice. but it's it's common to uh, you know capitalist society to say high functioning, low functioning, which is do you need our assistance? Do we need to invest capital to help you? Or can you earn capital for yourself, therefore contribute to the machine, therefore you're functioning? Right. And we, even though you're slightly different, so we might have to accommodate you a little bit, you, you still work well enough so that we can forget about you and let you just go and do what we need you to do to earn more revenue for the system. Right. And here's what's crazy. And this reminds me of Sir Ken Robinson. Have you ever seen his TED talk? No. Um, okay. Well, Ken Robinson's this freaking dope educator. He just passed away, but he created, he, he, he did one of the first ever TED talks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called, and it went viral. It was called schools kill creativity. Um, and in there, in that, in the talk, he told this story of this a young girl in the 1970s and she couldn't sit still in school. And the teacher came to the parents and was like, listen, your daughter can't sit still. And because of that, you should send her to a psychiatric ward. Like she has an issue and she needs to go to a psychiatric ward. And they were like, no, I don't think that's right. And And she was like, well, at least take her to a doctor to check this out. So they took her to a doctor and this doctor was like, you know, examining her and checking and they were talking. Um, And at one point the doctor goes, "Um, parents, you know, can we just step outside the room for a moment? And before they stepped outside the room, the doctor turned on the radio and there was some music playing and they all stepped outside and they were like, what's wrong? What's wrong with her? Is she okay? Like, do we have to send her a psychiatric ward? And he goes, nothing's wrong with your daughter. She's a dancer. That's what she is. That's who she mm-hmm. is. And they point, they like they pointed out, and she's dancing in the room. Like she needs to move. Like that's how she expresses herself. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, the parents, luckily they got that doctor, not another one that said something's wrong with her. But her parents instead then put her in a dance school and she thrived there. And then she went from one place and another place. And then eventually she became the creator of cats. Oh, the longest running play that's ever existed in the world, right? So imagine, imagine the amount of kids that are dealing with a wide spectrum, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that we are crushing their souls by being Mm -hmm. like, yo, you're not you're not producing like you you might be producing when they're geniuses in their own right and if we could only figure out their way of playing mm-hmm. we could give them the opportunity to literally change the world because that's what they have inside them if someone is able to just see that in them yeah for certain that's interesting 
I, I, um, I had the privilege of seeing Cats, the play. So I, I'm thinking about that now. Um, and the misfortune of seeing Cats, the uh, cinematic release. The cinematic. <laughs> Uh, Definitely a misfortune. I didn't go and uh, explore that. But oh. but Khalid, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Are you... Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm 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 still here. My internet keeps telling me it is unstable. I don't want to, you know, risk messing up audio quality here. But uh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still actively listening. Okay, um, Khalid, can you can you do a quick rundown of what you're going to say? If the audio is bad, we'll deal with it. It's all good. We all have audio problems. Um, you know, I, I mean, as as a self-identifying leftist, you know, not uh, not not falling under like terms of being a liberal or anything like that. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I I wish there was a way to prioritize, you know, people, and there are but I don't think they exist in the current system that we have because it's built on exploitation, right? Right. Um, I don't think there's any form of capitalism that exists without exploitation. Right. Um, you know, I think there, I think, especially like within poorer communities, right? You foster this belief in people that they have to get rich. They have to um, become big capitalists. And the only way to do that is work all the time yep. and you know I think the thing that I constantly hear like the minimum is like you got to work all the time for 10 years you have to you mm. know you, you can't sleep you if, if you got to miss meals to to achieve that dream you got you got to set you got to make sacrifices oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and you shouldn't have to um or and, and then you have situations you know where you had people that may want to chase their dreams but, but they got to work a nine to five Yep, and they got to work, you know, eight hours, eight hours at one job, and then you know, juggling multiple jobs at the same time to mm -hmm. keep to keep the lights on or keep a place to stay, yep. right? And then you look at how devastated we were by this health crisis, mm -hmm. and you know, people were getting laid off left and right, or um, their health was not important enough to prioritize that because we mm -hmm. had to open the economy. We had to open the economy. Uh, people aren't allowed to not work right and so you know as we critique this i also think about um the constant critique of the of the welfare state right all, all of the attacks of of welfare systems that exist to give people at least some kind of a leg up over mm -hmm. a system that keeps them oppressed and keeps them down mm -hmm. yeah and and i even think of um the idea of the $1,200 that we got, right? The $1,200, yes. you know, and, and the BS around that. Because when you looked at what other countries were giving, Ooh. man, England, it was like, it was $5,000 for the first three months, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, a friend of mine in Canada got $9,000, you oh, know, yeah. during that time. Like, imagine what could have happened. You know, we could have kept COVID rates down, people would have stayed at home. But what would have been concerning, as you know, as Khalid said, it's just like, that would be bad for capitalism because people then are not producing, right? They're not for sure. You know, Brian Kemp in Georgia was one of the first to open up. Why were you opening mm. up so early, Brian Kemp? Oh, is it because you were, you know, all of the businesses were forcing you to do that? And not all of them, but a lot of the ones that were like, I'm not getting I'm not churning enough out of people right now. They're not yeah. shopping. They're not doing this. I remember I was living in New York during 9-11 and 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. um, I would go to 14th Street because that was the furthest you could go down um, because it happened in lower Manhattan. And all these people were gathering and setting up vigils at mm -hmm. 14th Street. And there were candles and there were photos. And it was fascinating because people were all coming together and this would happen like all day. It would be happening from like noon all the way till like way into the night, like all the mm -hmm. way to midnight. Mm -hmm. But people would gather and they would have conversations. Like I saw like, you know, uh, hardcore Republicans talking to, you know, pure left-leaning, you know, socialists, um, just, just all this, you know, young and old, all these people just hanging out, right? Mm -hmm. Because they didn't know what to do during that time. 
But people started having discussions and it was such a really powerful place where people could heal and connect and be and see the humanity in each other. And then of course, Rudy Giuliani was like, we need to shop. And he cleared that vigil out because he was like, not enough people are shopping. And then New York's campaign was go shop. You wanna help New York, keep shopping. But up until then, people were seeing the humanity in each other. So like, we have a rare opportunity during COVID to do that again, to be like, was the normal that we were doing before COVID healthy for enough people? Oh, it wasn't. So what do we, what type of like society do we want to create coming? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had, we had a guest on Ava Blackwell, um, actress who's currently on Star Trek Discovery. Oh, and cool. she, she talked about uh, the Canadian uh, pandemic assistance. And I think the coolest thing about Canada, and I only figured this out, like whenever I was like significantly younger, I used to watch a web series called Letter Kinney, uh, a Canadian show. And I remember the characters, it's a comedy, they were walking around and they were ice fishing and they were like oh why didn't you come fishing yesterday and the other one goes like oh you know i got laid off because the season's out so i don't have a job and they go like oh that's no issue just apply for ei and he goes like oh yeah apply for employment insurance and i was like that immediately we have unemployment insurance which makes it seem like it's your fault you're unemployed it's bad they have employment insurance wow it's it's here to support you until you get your next job whereas Uh ours it's a burden on society that you are unemployed Uh uh-huh and you should feel like a loser you should feel like a loser for being unemployed Mm -hmm. like dude yeah, so I don't know, man. Khalid, do you have do you have uh, solutions for how we can address this? <laughs> um, nothing that probably wouldn't get me blacklisted. <laughs> um, so, like, I definitely, as I said, I, I lean. He wants to overthrow the system. I, I, I identify as a leftist. Oh, I'm sorry, Khalid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think right. I. No, you're good. I, I do not think that this system works. I, I don't. We I agree. Saw, we saw it crash, right? I agree. I think as we, we saw the failings of this system, there was a, like, people were feeling it. And then the government gave $1,200 once during an eight-month period, which is five bucks a day, right? I and know. they were like, here you go. And so, you know. Oh, my gosh. Capitalism fosters greed. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard arguments, well, people are just naturally greedy and you can't get rid of greed, but I think you can de-emphasize greed. Right? Yeah. I think you can emphasize and re-emphasize community and, you know, emphasize the necessity of, you know, being of, of fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we they're like there's such like an aversion to unions right you know you have these big companies big corporations that are like if you unionize we can fire you we can bring somebody else in that won't feel the need to unionize if they unionize we'll fire them too right mm-hmm. we the the you're promised that you can make as much money as you want you know there's there's opportunity for growth and all these all these all these empty promises right but your growth is only limited like your growth is limited to but so much you know Mm -hmm. you're not gonna make what you want to make you're not going to odds are you're not going to be a billionaire because poverty is cyclical right um and so you know you you're stuck and you can't do better for yourself because you'll get fired and if you get fired you can't take that as a reference you know because they're gonna be like they unionize and uh, you don't want that at your at, at your company so you know then then it's hard for you to get employed and you know I, I, I think it's a bare minimum that um, workers are able to unionize. Uh-huh. Like, you should have the ability to say, hey, this is, uh, this, is, this, is, this is what we want. This is what we consider to be fair, mm-hmm. you know, and we should be able to get these things without it being too much of a hassle considering how much the company, corporation, the bosses make at one time. 
I, I feel like we're at an inflection point, right? Just like there was during the civil rights movement where, you know, I remember when Martin Luther King got dangerous, he got dangerous when he started the poor people's campaign. Mm-hmm. Up until then, it was like, okay, you can do whatever you want to do, man. But when you start like you, you getting people together around class and pointing mm. out what that issue, you know, Malcolm X, same thing. He got dangerous near the end when he was like able to look past, you know, and bring up, bring a larger coalition together. Um, mm. But what I think about is, you know, there are quite a few different solutions we can approach, right? Like universal basic income. That was not even being talked about until, who was it that brought it up in the election? What was his name? Uh, Yang. Um, Yang, yeah, yeah, Andrew mm-hmm. Yang, who, who, and don't get me wrong, I recognize Biden as a capitalist and so was Obama and everything like that. But if you do have Andrew Yang on your, you know, on your, on, on, in the cabinet in some capacity, oh, yes. oh, yeah. he could, he could argue, especially during COVID to be like, we need to do more. Can we figure out a way in which to do more? That obviously is not going to still address the bigger mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. but I think like, and this is a fascinating book if y'all want to check this out or just check out this this guy. He's amazing. Um, do you know An- Anand Gurdharas? I've heard. So Winner Takes All is his mm. book. And his book uh, Zero is Sum all, Game, yeah. book is all about questioning whether we should have billionaires in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should we have billionaires mm-hmm. in the world while people are starving to death? Should we have billionaires in the world while people are in poverty, you know? And why are we celebrating these billionaires? What makes them heroes? Because if anything, Mark Zuckerberg creating Facebook destroyed America. Mm -hmm. Amazon is destroying America. So why are we putting these people on an echelon? And then why are we letting them dictate where their money goes? Because Mm -hmm. they have these philanthropic, agents, you know, like Bill Gates is like, I'm giving away 99% of my money. Yeah, but you're controlling where Mm -hmm. that money goes. And I forgot what his name is, but he's like this Dutch historian that was at Davos. um, And he called everyone out at Davos. And he was just like, you know, we talk about climate change, but 1500 private planes landed to get here, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and then he goes, you know, I feel like I'm at a fireman's convention and i'm not willing to talk about water the only thing we should be talking about now is taxes 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 yes he's just like the amount of people that are hiding their money all over the world you know is is ridiculous and you can bring bono to stuff and you can have filling philanthropic all this stuff but none of that is irrelevant if you're not willing to pay your taxes and when you look at it there's estimations that 13 to 17 trillion dollars is just hidden just mm. in you know mustique right yes in sweden it is hidden all over the world and if that if you could just get some of that money mm-hmm. back and put that in the u.s economy we wouldn't be struggling to be like there's not enough money to go around right there's mm-hmm. plenty of money to go around it's just sitting in coffers that you know, rich people have like have hidden in their Panama Papers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, and look. and like, what are you gonna do with it? You're you're not gonna before you die. Exactly. Exactly. What are you gonna do with all that money? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I look. I have nothing to say about that, right? Like you have you have hit every nail on the proverbial coffin that is capitalism. And then, of oh, course, I will say, can I say one last thing about yes. that? I will say this, and I coined this term recently, and I'm really pitching this term. Um, and I refer to it as affluent deadness. Okay. You know, we'd have a lot of people that suffer from affluent deadness. And what I mean by that is, I know rich people, I know famous people, I know successful mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm, They're not mm-hmm. that happy. If anything, yes. a lot of them are dead inside. If you've ever met, a rich person <laughs> gone to a rich party. It's oh, yes. freaking boring, mm-hmm, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's deadness in their eyes. And you're like, what are you doing? Like you could buy anything. You could travel the world 10 times over. You could, you could have whatever you want at any that's, moment. That's the point. Yeah. And, and this is what the epitome of capitalism is. And you look scared. 
You look mm-hmm. scared like you're going to lose your money. You look scared because you have a net worth of five million, but someone else has a net worth of ten mm-hmm. million. So, mm-hmm. you, or you just mm-hmm. look freaking bored. And then you have the audacity to then post on Instagram about how great your life is. Yeah. And then I'm like looking at you like, what are you talking about? You are not happy. But they're like, oh, but I want someone else to think that I am because you know I'm like. That's how I get my happiness, right? Mm-hmm. In bragging about this. So, so you have people that are at the top, the 1% that are selling this lie that they're not even happy with. And then all these other people that are trying to rush up mm-hmm. to get there only to be disappointed if they even get there. Yeah. And we just need to stop that cycle. We need to buy into the fact that a lot of those people don't know what they're doing. And they have mm-hmm. no idea and no clue. So we need to stop listening to them and deifying them. For sure. Cap comparison and envy. Uh, it's it's definitely, you know, uh, what was the old term? Keeping up with the Joneses. Yep. Something like this. Keeping up with the Washingtons as well. It's like you, you see your neighbor and, you know, you don't think to yourself, how do they afford this? Your neighbor has a new, um, was it new Mustang or the the a Porsche 911 and you're right, like, oh, that's Tesla. cool. All the people have Teslas now. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And you're like, oh, they have it. I have to get the model year newer. And it's yep. like, wait, you didn't ask how he paid for it. He's making yep. payments. Insurance is astronomical. Yep. And now you're just taking upon this burden um, just to prove yourself. Come to find out your neighbor is not as dumb as you were because he's leasing it. So in two years, he's going to get a newer one, but you're stuck with this one because you bought it. Right. And you're only doing it again to impress somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And Viola Davis says this a lot of like, you know, you have a choice in every decision that you make, Mm -hmm. you know, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. Yes. And how many people are chasing their worth? Like, I remember I was on a virtual happy hour and this guy's talking about his freaking Tesla. And, you know, at first he sounds like he's bragging about it, but then he's just like, you know, but I was having this issue. So I had to take it back to the Tesla shop and blah, blah, blah. And as he's talking, I'm just like, are you telling me, are you complaining about your stuff right now? (laughs) And as he was complaining about his stuff, there were two younger people on there, like in their twenties that were like, man, I wish I had a Tesla. And I'm like, are you listening? (laughs) This guy's not happy. He just bought his Tesla and he's complaining. Don't buy into the (laughs) bullshit. There's so Mm. much bullshit out there. And it's just like, instead get, you know, this is what I tell people all the time. Shut off social media for an hour, shut off binge watching Netflix, get bored like you did as a kid. And when you are able to do that and listen to your inner child, that inner curiosity, it starts to whisper to you super cool things you should do, right? Like, hey, let's start this podcast. Hey, let's make this ridiculous TikTok video. Hey, let's do this or that Mm -hmm. because it's interesting Mm -hmm. to me, right? Let's pursue our leisure because this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that's going to bring you some fulfillment. That's going to make you feel more alive. And frankly, that is going to impact the world more than you just simply continuing to work for working sake. Absolutely. Khalid? I mean, no, nah, he hit it on he hit it on the head. Um yeah, no, they create you this feeling of competition, right? And I think about this quote, um, or I think I heard it on the boys, which you know mm. I enjoy despite some shallow messaging here and there. <laughs> but um, you know, the the quote was, you know, it's easy to say money isn't everything when you have money you know it's easy it's easy to be bored when you're not struggling right Right. so you have people that are all that's being fostered is you don't have enough you can't do enough yeah and uh once again poverty is cyclical so you're going to be stuck here and so you know yeah i mean it goes back to capitalism fostering greed and fostering competition Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. And, and fostering, you know, this idea that you're not, that it's not enough and that it'll never be enough. And so, you know, you look at these people that have it all, that are, that are 
you know, successful as far as uh, capitalism goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it either inspires you, right? Because, like, I think about Jay-Z. Uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce are capitalists, billionaires, yep. right? Mm. Uh, with a portion of their money, they could probably solve a, the homelessness problem within their area yep. or, or within their immediate area or probably even areas outside of where they are, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's this idea that they did themselves they they pulled uh you know the old conservative saying they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps yeah they made something out of nothing and so if they can do it you can do it and Mm -hmm. so you know Mm -hmm. why do you think everybody wants to be a a rapper or a ball player yeah i yeah i think uh yeah No, I mean, I, I hear I hear that about like when you're in a cyclical sl- s- poverty, like how do you actually mm-hmm. break out of that, right? And and also how do you support people to like raise all boats? And then I think things like you know universal income, things like figuring out a way in which we can tax specifically people that have way too much money to begin with, mm-hmm. so that we can actually you know not tying education to um, your property tax, all of that stuff, right? So there's all of those policy changes that we need to make. And it's and, and it does suck that it's just that right now the only message of someone that is in poverty is just like, work harder. You know, you got to do more. If mm. you do more, then you'll get out of it. And maybe, and, and maybe that's a lie. You know, maybe it's like, maybe that's not going to be the approach. Maybe more so the approach is, why don't I work with other individuals, the Beyonce's and all these people that have resources and be like, how are we going to raise all boats here? How are we mm-hmm. going to actually address mm-hmm. this for mm-hmm. real as a community instead of doing what capitalism does so well, which makes it all individual. That sells the lie that that you did it by yourself because no one pulled themselves, or not many people pull themselves up from their bootstraps, especially mm-hmm. most people in the 1%, right? They inherited that money mm-hmm. and they got that money. Trump inherited $400 million from his, his uh, I guess, his father and then lost it all. And then while he was losing it, then claimed himself to be a billionaire. It's just like amazing the, the mm-hmm. bullshit story. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk inherited a shit ton of money. You know, yes. like, oh, yeah. like all these, all the, we, we got to be careful that we don't buy into telling that story because then I think that story is also told in low income communities that, yeah, your only options are to, um, you know, play basketball or become a rapper to get out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. And imagine, you know, imagine if you be a helicopter pilot and crushed it. And then you come back to your community or you go into other communities and you're like, yo, I did this. I did Mm. this with my community. You can too. I mean, all people, all a lot of kids need to see is they need to see stuff like what Kamala Harris done. Mm -hmm. They need to see what Stacey Abrams did. They need to see what Alicia Garza did with Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matters or Toronto Burke with Me Too, you Mm -hmm. know? Like I run a workshop called dealing with a-holes at work through play, but the whole point of is to fight power, is to challenge the power that's currently there and be like, yo, the way in which you've acted in your toxic masculinity way, that's not gonna fly in business anymore because you're Mm. gonna become obsolete because we don't wanna tolerate that Trump-esque bullshit way of leading anymore. That's some 1950s stuff. And frankly, you as a company, if you don't adapt to this and get rid of your a-holes, you're going to become obsolete just like this. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we we slightly move from this, right? You you speak about your workshop, how to deal with assholes with play. Uh, Can you give us a brief? of how we would go about this. Let's think in the in the world at large, not just in the workplace. Well, in the work, I mean, the thing that you have to do that I think we only learned over the last four years is you cannot tol- allow that behavior to happen at any age 
right? Mm -hmm. Think of what Tr Trump used. To, if you if you watch documentaries about Trump, he was bullying people in third grade, dude. He had been just and he just continued to do it. And when he became when he when he was in his twenties. Um, his mentor, uh, Roy Cohn, what, taught him to just attack, attack, attack. So all yes. of his lawsuits, when he tried to put a bunch of black men in jail and like put it, you know, he like ah. bought a newspaper mm -hmm. ad in order to do that. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. always about was about attacking and no one stood up to him. So it's all about making sure, and it's all about when you stand up to do it as a community. The Me Too movement showed that. How do yes. you do that, right? You know, in the workplace, we do it where we actually call out the behavior. We don't always attack the character, but we call out the behavior. So when we're at work and someone cuts someone else off, you know, and Chad cuts off Samantha, be like, whoa, hold on, Chad. You know, uh, you cut off Samantha. I was trying to hear what she had to say. When you do those small things at meetings and you start to occupy the time that a-holes have been taking up, that's one way. When you confront the a-hole directly and you go up to Chad and you're like, you know, when you cut off Samantha, she didn't want to share anymore. And when you mm -hmm. did that to her, the impact was that none of us wanted to share. Is that the impact you want to have, right? When you go to the boss and you go, you know, Chad has caused four of our staff to leave. Do you know how much that's costing us? I don't care how much money Chad is bringing in. Is like mm. he's costing all these people to leave. Turnover's freaking expensive. Do we want him still here, or do or can his behavior change? And then finally, if you're trying to address the a hole, the reason why the a hole triggers you is because part of what they're saying is something you believe in yourself. You mm. might not. You might have imposter syndrome. You might believe you don't deserve the job that you you're at. You might believe that you might be doubting yourself. So you have to ask yourself. Is that true? Do I deserve the job? Yeah, I do. Do I deserve to get paid more than Chad? Yeah, I do. And then and then, when you're able to do that work for yourself, the next time Chad says something rude to you, you can be like, Chad, that's super rude. Don't ever speak to me that way. And when you do that and you set that boundary, you give permission for everybody else to be like, yeah, I'm not going to tolerate that from him mm. either. And then everyone is stepping up to Chad and being like, you can't act that way around me. He can't bully anyone anymore. And then that guy has to ask himself, do I change my behavior or do I leave this situation? And you can do that on any level, but you just can't allow that behavior to be tolerated and, and let people get bullied. Absolutely. And... So I do quite enjoy this conversation and I want to give Khalid the chance to respond. But my question now is what can we do, right? As, as we come to the conclusion of in defense of humanity and move into in defense of time, what can we do in the world whenever we encounter a-holes? As you told us what we can do exactly, but what if we don't have a community behind us? What if we're the outlier or alone? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question, man. I mean, it, it's, I, I, I pick this example, but it's a really hard example. Right. Um, and you might've seen this guy, right. It was this black dude who was able to get 200 KKK members to leave the KKK. Have you heard that story? Have you, have you read about that? Yes. Guy? Yes, I have. And you're like, what, what did that dude do? Mm -hmm. And over 30 mm -hmm. years, what he did was he would hang out at coffee shops where KKK members were at. And he would, you know, he would go to KKK rallies and just be standing around and he'd have conversations with people. Mm -hmm. He would have conversations with people. And the more that they saw his humanity, the more they questioned um, whether uh, they hated black people. And then they left. And I'm not saying that's what people need to do, but what I am encouraging you is you do need to get out of your box and challenge what you have to see the humanity in individuals, right? We have to see the humanity in each other and figure out, all right, this is not working. There's a whole large population of people that are suffering. How do we get people out of poverty together? What can I do on the local level to figure out how we can do this? Not from a charity standpoint, where we're mm -hmm. handing out money, but from like a policy standpoint. And you know, how do we like 
what can we do in, to inspire the next generation to show them that the only options aren't just basketball and rap and rapping, right? Or that there's all these other ways to do it. How do we like break the mold? Like the way in which Kamala and, and Stacey Abrams and, you know, and Alicia Garza and all these people, you know, and heck even Angela Davis back in the day, everyone is challenging the bullshit status quo that we've bought into and be like, no, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nerd out my way, right? And, and that's why Howard Thurman, who is, was an activist, says the thing about, you know, don't ask what the world needs, what makes you come alive? Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. What makes you alive? What is the thing that makes you so passionate? Show mm -hmm. the fuck up with that. And that's gonna inspire someone to be brave in their own way to show up and it's gonna show up and it's gonna take forever. It's the long arc of justice, but it, but it, it, it leans, it leans towards something good. And we have to believe that. And if we're willing to devote 10, 20 years to things like that, Brene Brown recently said this, it took her 20 years for, for her to be on a world stage to talk about vulnerability and shame, 20 mm -hmm. years. But she devoted 20 years to it. Same thing with Oprah, with what she did. You devote a certain amount of time and you don't move away from that. You're going to get a platform because no, everyone else is going to give up, but you're going to still be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I do. I do like that final end piece right there, 20 years. So Khalid and I have roughly about 17 years and two months left and <laughs> we'll be on good morning america baby i mean you might be on earlier i mean that's the thing but you know if you're like Toronto burke said this about the me too movement she was, mm -hmm. she was just mm -hmm. like look you're taking me to the academy awards you're taking me to the emmys you're taking me to all these places i was doing this work in basements and recreation centers yeah and i'll be doing it in those places afterwards mm -hmm. i don't really care i'm not doing this for the fame or whatever it is i'm doing this work because this is the work that i was meant to do Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't take that away from me. You can't take, you know, you can take all the fame and other stuff out there, but I don't really care about it because I'm driven by the work. And when you're coming from that level, no one can mess with you. No one can shake you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Jeff, we're going to let Khalid respond in a few seconds since he's lagging a bit. But after In Defense of Humanity, as you may no, we have a Patreon exclusive show called In Defense of Time, where it's no holds barred, more than In Defense of Humanity. As you witnessed, we don't really hold anything back, but In Defense of Time is an opportunity where we say guests can say things that'll get them canceled. And most <laughs> likely not enough people are listening to care. Woo, dude, I, I'm down. I'm down for that, man. <laughs> so uh, are there any final thoughts you have for the general audience? Oh. oh man. Well, I mean, I, there's two options. There's the option of, of hope and I can talk about hope and, you know, and, and end on that. Or I can say the thing that could get me canceled and <laughs> which one do you want? I, you know, I, 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 I'm open to whatever, what do you have to say? I would prefer you not get canceled. Uh, Khalid? Um, I don't say anything problematic. I, at best, I say things that uh, would get me on a CIA watch list, but <laughs> nothing cancelable. Well, I mean, I don't. I'll, I'll say the thing that that is. I don't know if it's even that controversial. It's just not. It's not that controversial, frankly. So I can say it. Um, so do you remember when Black Panther came out? Right. Mm -hmm. There was a video of a dude, a black dude, who was hugging a poster of Chadwick in a movie theater, you know, those cardboard cutout ones. So he's hugging this poster and mm -hmm. he's like, and he turns to the camera and he's like, is this what white people feel like all the time? Like, is this how they feel? Like, like they're just heroes all the time, like for them, mm -hmm. like this is amazing, right? And it made me think of like the, the uh, as my friends calls it, the pale, stale and male, the mediocre white man. Where, where does one get the confidence of a, of a mediocre white man. Why do white men have such confidence mm. when they're not, they're just so average or there's just so many of them that are so average. 
And I thought about it and I was like, if you think of every TV show and almost every movie, it celebrates the mediocre white dude, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, King of Queens, Everybody Loves Raymond, Friends, Seinfeld, you know, and then in the movies, you know, or Breaking Bad, The Last of the Mohicans, Last Samurai, like all of the just horrible movie, Dances with Wolves, they're just horrible movies that celebrate average dudes mm. that do extraordinary things later on, or they're just, you know, and, and you just don't, you don't, if you're a person of color, mm. for you to be on TV or movies, you have to have something like crazy rich Asians where it's like, well, we don't want to watch Asians, but we'll watch crazy rich Asians. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be, you know, amazing in some way. Um, and I think we have to, as my friend Ludovic sometimes says, it's like, we have to embody um, the confidence of these average white dudes <laughs> and just be like, yo, I am gonna do this thing even though I, I don't know if it's gonna happen, right? Mm. I am gonna like, I am gonna show up in a way and take up the room. Like, I think a lot of times we wonder whether we, we should be our full self. And it's just like, if these dudes can do it and they're creating such average stuff, imagine what we can do when we step up and show the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I I think that's a good point to end on. Khalid, um, do you have any final thoughts before we head to in defense of time? The last capitalist we shall hang shall be the one that sells us the rope. I wish you would stop saying that. It's, well, it's, it's Italian. It's Italian to the last season, homie. <laughs> oh, I love Khalid. Khalid is ready to burn it all down. Oh my gosh. I was there, Khalid. I was there, man. I was there. I hear you. I hear you. Well, well folks, that is the end of this episode. If you would like to hear more from Jeff Harry and Khalid tried to get himself arrested, uh, please join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash IDOH to hear more on In Defense of Time. Goodbye.